Well, as we're getting back into the fall, uh, so comes the need for us to figure out routines and priorities. How many have found that your routines and priorities from the summer have changed? For sure. I'm talking to my wife who now is back into school. She has two full preschool classes and instantly life went crazy. It was September. I could feel it like a, a rolling thunder in our house coming Monday. But here are a few examples of some people whose priorities who are a bit peculiar. Uh, a New Yorker Marcin Michalski was talking, or was taking a morning stroll along the Williamsburg Bridge when suddenly a mugger surprised him. The mugger took out a gun and demanded Marcin's cell phone. And Marcin, looking at this mugger, straight out refused to give up his Nokia and said, you'll have to pry it from my dead body. Not believing the assailant would do anything, suddenly the mugger decided to shoot Marson and shot him in the leg. And Marson, still not willing to give up his phone, proceeded to try to limp away. The mugger, who had his priorities suddenly wrestling with, figured out a murder charge over a phone is not worth it and fled. When the police asked Marson why didn't he just give up the phone, Marson told the police... It had a picture of his dog on it. A New Jersey teacher, Mary uh, Murphy, got a call telling her that her house was on fire. Uh, She promptly dropped everything and rushed to the scene. Uh, She wasn't scared for anyone's life because she knew that her husband and her mother, who had been staying with them, were both safely outside the blaze. Instead, Murphy was determined to save her most prized possession— a season tickets to the Phillies. Murphy, who ran into the blazing fire, found out later about her mixed priorities uh, when the manager of the Phillies told her he would gladly have reprinted her tickets had they burned in the fire. But he couldn't do anything about her. <laughs> anyway. And finally, uh, Hersha Howard Hersha Howard, uh, she was, this, was craving some Thin Mints. Um, it's a popper, popular variety of Girl Scout cookie in the States. But as she searched her home for them, Howard was shocked to discover that the cookies were gone. She soon began to suspect that one responsible for, her, for this was her roommate, Jasmine Wanky. Yeah, weird name. Anyway, we'll go there. But around 1 a.m. in the morning, Howard confronted Wanky... And accusing her of stealing the Thin Mints, Howard then did what any rational or sane person would do. She assaulted Wanky. Wanky's husband pulled the two of them apart, but that wasn't going to stop Howard. Howard started chasing her with a pair of scissors and eventually hitting her with a wooden board. So Howard, or or Wanky's husband, held her until the, uh, the police came and arrested her. And Howard was charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon but as far as we know, the cookie thief wanky is still at large. Let's open up God's word and read together. If you have a Bible, please do that because uh, we want to, we, we all have to deal with priorities and we all have to make choices and decisions as the fall comes in. Let's, I just want to read what God's word and follow along with me. It's very important because for me, word is life and it's like, let God speak to you. Now, I have the words up here, so if you don't have a Bible, feel free 
But feel free to look ahead, jump all over the place, just let the Spirit lead you. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 34 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The scripture we just read is Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He sat down with his disciples and wanted to teach them what does it mean to be in the kingdom? What does it mean to actually follow and be a part of what he's doing? And again, this is near, as you went in from chapter 5, we're, in, we're kind of in the middle of it, of, of these, what is it actually being a part of Christ and living with him? And these words, this, this is incredible challenge because Jesus is teaching his followers what it means to be deeply spiritual. Suddenly, our lives are meant to be oriented completely different. Our priorities shift. What, what I would say is this, what does trusting Jesus look like? What is, what is actually putting your hope and your faith in him look like? To live in a relationship with him that not, it is not only just based on belief, but trust in him. Let me explain. There are many people that believe in Jesus, but what does it mean to actually trust him? It's like this. I can believe in a chair. I absolutely believe this chair. It's such a beautiful chair. It's awesome. But until I actually place my weight onto it, I'm not trusting it. And we are actually invited in the sermons to go, not just believe in Jesus, but what do you do with his words? I, I get, it's a very profound challenge of how do we actually place our weight on what Jesus is saying. So Jesus teaches those who follow what it means is this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? And he goes on to explain, look at the birds, look how he takes care of them, look at the, you know, the lilies of the field, they're all clothed, and he goes, you are more valuable than these. So, what do you do with that? See, because Jesus is giving this incredible challenge. In fact, it, it overrides what people say are the basic priorities of life. 
What are your proper priorities? Jesus just cut across everything that a good, sane person, aren't you supposed to worry about food, clothing? Like, those are necessities. And Jesus now is cutting across what every sane person would say are your real top priorities. Get a job. Ever said or heard, told somebody that? I have. I've told my son that many times. <laughs> you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, let me explain why it cuts across. The Business Insider shared an article regarding about what millionaires uh, share as their top three priorities. This is, if you wanted to be a millionaire and you want to be a millionaire, these were the ways you would do it. And this is what they, they learned, that millionaires list three things as their top. Millionaires list health. They list also family. And financial security as their top priorities. And in that order. Health. Because a whopping 98% of these millionaires surveyed said health was their most valuable asset. You must be believe good health is the key to a well life lived. And 99 said that investing in their health was, more, was just as important as in building wealth. Health, you've got to be healthy. And the respondents also define family as essential. However, most of them were unsure of the legacy that they were leaving behind. So, yeah, family's important, but we don't know if it's gonna, what's going to happen there. You know what, it was interesting in this is that uh, most American adults consider themselves to be not merely religious, but deeply spiritual. You know, that's the claim of 62% of all adults interviewed in, our annual, in the annual religious tract survey conducted by the Barna Group. If you don't know what it is, the Barna Group is for the last 30 years has been doing research and study on over more than 1 million interviews over the course of hundreds of studies and has become a go-to source for insights about faith and culture, leadership, vocation, generations. 30 years they've been doing studies. And what they came up with is 62% of Americans say we are deeply spiritual. Deeply spiritual. But when they, when they look through that, and Canadians are also part of this stat, when they define and look more closely to the word deeply spiritual... Their research discovered that when adults were asked to identify their single most important priority in their life these days, commitment to their faith actually plays second. And it was listed only out of one out of every six deeply spiritual person. Their faith was actually not super priority. So what does having a priority of faith look like? Because this is what the challenge is. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't, you know, don't be anxious about this. And do it. How, I don't know about you, but how many of you worry? So I, I, I know that I am a worrier. I tend to think future. I'm thinking about this. Uh, Aaron knows I'm a why person. So I'm like, well, why are we doing this? And, what's, what? and I constantly, I can make a million scenarios of how we're going to have a doomsday tomorrow. The apocalypse is coming, just telling you, right now. How many of you can know that? How many identify? You know that the old things are going to happen, and you've made up your different scenarios. Well, how many of you, I just, I listen to this, and he says, don't worry. Is this what Jesus is talking about? He's trying to say, oh, no, your priority is not to worry. 
If that's the case, I fall very short. In fact, I need super grace. That's actually not what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's a shift happening, a shift in priorities that helps you not to worry. See, at the very end, this is the crux of, the, of this, this passage, is he tells us what are our priorities meant to be. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all this will be given to you as well. There is a couple, that, that statement, that one verse, is absolutely revolutionary. And this is where I feel like God wants us to go this year, this fall. He has a couple priorities that he'd like for us to talk about. So let's do this. The first one is, what Jesus teaching his followers includes a couple of priorities. What does this mean? Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Because I, how many of you like the all that will be added unto you part? I love it. It's a good thing. Well, The first thing we see is this. The priority Jesus lays out is of seek first. Seek first. That's the very first part. Well, what does it mean to seek first? You see, the word seek here is the Greek word zaleo. Zaleo can be translated to desire or to crave or even demand. You know what? I love it because Aaron last week was sharing about when we went through the Psalms and he went through Psalm 104 and the one thing that he felt the Lord really speak to was in the midst of his break, in the midst of taking it, God really saying, Aaron, I want you to enjoy again. And I was going, amen. Amen. Why was I thinking that? Because if you understand the word seek, it's to desire, to enjoy, to crave. Do any of you guys know what cravings are? Okay, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna be really honest and share a deep craving. About Christmas time every year, I probably get in in my stocking these little bad boys right here. So if you want to pass it here, show them. Oh no, that that. This is my first craving. How many of you like coffee? How many of you know that if you don't have your coffee in the morning, you're really just unruly? How many of you have those people? Amen. You're my with me with you. These things at Christmas. I don't know why they created these things because what happens is I can only have them once a year. Why? Because I now am so addicted to these things that box will not last more than a day. What happens is when we pull these little bad boys out, I have an impossible ability to only eat one. I now am shoveling these things in and my wife will look at me and say, this is why I only give it to you for Christmas once a year because you would be at least 600 pounds by the time if I just kept giving this to you. I could, as soon as I get one of these, I crave it. I desire. I have this, oh, that is so good. Again, coffee people, you get it, right? That coffee in the morning. For those that don't have that, is there any other cravings in this house that you know of? Do you have a craving? I bet you do. This is the word he says, seek. Seek first, desire, crave. In fact, demand. Demand this. I'm going to ask a simple question. What do you desire? C.S. Lewis uh, made this incredible quote. He said, considering the, um, 
unblushing promises and reward, the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, what Jesus, our Lord, offers to us, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around about the drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What do we desire? This is the invitation going, seek first. What do you desire first? What do you crave first? Colossians 3 verse 1 to 2 says, and I love it because Paul uses the same word, the same verbiage. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, if you have, he's died for you and he has been raised and you have been raised, this is what Paul says. Seek the things that are above. The same word. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Desire and crave what God has in heaven. Hmm. So I ask this question, what do you desire that is, that is from above? What are we putting as this is the first thing? And in fact, this is the same word that Jesus used when he tells us to pray. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. The word is actually a present continual tense. What that means is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. It's present continual, which means this. Crave and keep craving. If my wife kept bringing me those box of toffee fee, it'd be insane. I would be 600 pounds because I just couldn't stop. They're so good. And I, please, I'm honestly, we're on a, we're, we're on a diet right now, so please, none of you tempt me by bringing those little things. I'm just, I'm laying it out there as brothers and sisters of the Lord, love your brother, and, you know, and don't tempt me. My wife appreciates that little point there. But this is what's interesting. Desire is different than just passion. It's a conscious decision. That's what it is. So, seeking first starts by saying, God, this, I want to change my priorities. And he says, I want you to desire more of me. And maybe you need God to ask that. If we were to start the fall and ask, what's our top priority? What's the priority that Jesus would say? He goes, I, I just want you to say, Me. Seek, crave. And I don't owe you, but I, I, I feel I've really fall short of that. And so then this is where I go and say, Lord, help me. And I love that that's what Aaron, God was speaking to Aaron, and he's still saying, he's saying the same thing to me. Lord, you give these godly desires. Can you put a desire, an increased hunger for you this fall? Jesus continues instructing us to his to some of the priorities. The next priority is of his kingdom. His kingdom. The question I would like to ask this is, who is Lord? See, a kingdom always has to have somebody who's in charge. Who is the Lord of this kingdom? And this is what I think at the crux of this question. When you say, I want a priority of his kingdom, you have to ask the question, who is Lord? I mean, I, 
Ever wonder how the men of God in the Bible were able to live such incredible lives? I read these stories about these guys and the things they did, and I wonder, how did they do it? How did they, I think of this, Noah. How does Noah, he, he has this incredible thing where he was out of reverence, he builds a, an ark. He's, he believes God going to do something that he can't see, and in reverent fear, he constructs an ark. Or let's talk about Abraham, when he, when he was called to a place to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going to go. How did he do that? Or Abraham, when he was tested to offer up Isaac, he received and gave his son, offering up his son, even though there's a promise on his son that through him, this, you will have an offspring that, you know. How does he do that? How does he live that way? Or how about Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver God's people? And how Moses would be such a man of faith to when you're pressed by an army behind you and now having to have a faith to go through dry land or through a sea on dry land. How did he do this? Or Joshua, who marched around the walls of Jericho to see them fall down when they encircled it for seven days. Why would you keep going seven days? Or David, who would face a giant. But he's a man after God's own heart. And God makes a promise, through you I will establish my kingdom forever. How did these guys do it? Well, all of them, I found out, have a similar trait. There's one thing that connects every single person in this story, in the Bible. All of them trusted God and trusted that trust led to obedience. They were able to say, I am not in control. You are Lord. I'm not. The priority of saying, your kingdom come, or whatever, your kingdom, I focus on it, really shifts where I am out of control. I don't have control. And if you're like me, control is probably an issue we have to deal with on a daily basis. You see, desire is seen in the context with power. Some have passion to be number one, to compete, to dominate. How many of you are very competitive and like to win? Gotta do it. But you know what? Often when we are pushing and asserting ourselves, our will, it often produces envy and contention. Sometimes it becomes our passions and our glory we are wanting and us owning it. It becomes about me. You see, don't be deceived in assuming that these worldly desires are somewhat animalistic in nature. They include that some refined passions. Did you know that when you are, that sometimes pride is really where you want to have control? Maybe you just want to grow in social status or whatever, but this is where Colossians 3, 5 instructs, a desire taken beyond what is lawfully simply what God's desire becomes idolatry to gratify our own stuff. When you say, Lord, your kingdom, God will say, do you have any idols? Do you have anything that you actually 
have more important. And know what the number one thing is? Usually it's me. My kingdom. My life. My job. My kids. I, I had an interesting talk with my dad because my dad, he, he taught me how to work. But one thing is he, never, he wasn't a Christian. And he, he always reminded me, he said, you know what? Yeah, there could be a God out there. But the honest, I've worked for this this money. So he'll do his thing, but I know who's really in control. All of us have desires, but if you're following Jesus, you realize you ask a different question. What is God's desire? Or as Paul says in Ephesians 5.17, understanding what the will of the Lord is. I pursue, I'm seeking your kingdom. What do you want, God? Not what I want. His kingdom, not your kingdom. I love this because is it, what does it look like practically for that? Have you ever asked that going, is this your will, God? Have you ever had those, those moments when you're going, is this really you, God? On a practical note, I, I, I'm going I'm to I'm basically boast on someone because this is the challenge to live out seeking his kingdom. Amber has been going, what God do you want to do with my life? What do you want to do? And suddenly she gets an idea. I think I would love to go to Egypt. And so this is a stretch, first of all. Like, what? I'm going to leave, whatever. But you know what? Let's go there. Let's go there. I will try to just... And so comes this faith venture of trust me with money, trust me with her. And, and as we know, Amber went to Egypt and loved it and feels this incredible. I asked her if I could use this as an example. She said yes. So just so you know, thank you, Amber, for letting me pick on you. But I was so delighted when Amber suddenly sent an email to Aaron and myself, just pastors, and said, I was praying this, this retreat, just asking God, and God said, is this my desire or your desire now to go back? Do you know how hard it is to ask and say, Lord, I want to give everything that make this line up with you? So Amber came and said, you know, guys, I, I, don't, know if I'm, I don't think I'm going back to Egypt. God hasn't said because his hasn't given me the green light. And I just said, that's what it means to seek his kingdom. We are, that's one story. I have a feeling there are so many other people seeking his kingdom. Andrea, you seek his kingdom. I, I know you're seeking kingdom. Why did you come all the way here? You didn't, not for the weather, obviously. Amen, right? Why'd you guys, what brought you here? If you're seeking his kingdom, Keep on the notes. Amen. Let's go. I, I pray that our demonstration in our life is like at the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. The final instruction for us in this priorities, I think, is as Jesus says, seek first, and then he says, his kingdom, but this last part is interesting, and his righteousness. His righteousness. And I love it because this presents to me what I would call the gospel life, uh, what is his righteousness? You see, the gospel is very clear. Um, the story through this whole entire Bible is really simple. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have done wrong. We all have pooched it. We've all made mistakes. We all have, if we were to try to say, you are right, what's your righteousness? According to the Bible, it says, for we have all sinned. Not one of us is good. 
In fact, Paul, who suddenly encounters the Lord, his statement about himself, he goes, I'm the chief of all sinners. What? You're the guy talking about everybody to Jesus. You're helping churches. And he goes, yeah, but I'm the chief of all sinners. What? Why would you say that? Aren't you a saint? Aren't you the more, you're a child of God, loved, redeemed, right? But his understanding was in compared to God, my righteousness is like filthy rags. And he understood the gospel. Because for the most part, if you ask our country, if you ask most people, that's 62 or 69%, and you ask them, are you a good person? What would they respond of course, I'm good enough. I'm so good enough. And we put a little sticky tab and say, I, look, I, I'm, I'm not doing anything bad, but I'm a good person. But the gospel life does not actually tell me that. It tells me this, is that I'm good not because of anything that I've done. I'm good because of God what he sees, what he created, how he is in the business of redeeming, how he removes our sins and casts it as far as. This is the reality that Jesus' life brings to us. Even as Christians, I'll I'll tell you why. When you seek his righteousness, how many of you know that you are in a battle to not live by your flesh? To honestly seek his righteousness, you realize you have a choice every day to say, do I live according to the passions and desires I have or according to the spirit? And every day I'm pursuing a righteousness when I say, Lord, help me to not live the way I want my flesh. Because that is dead. That person was crucified. Do you ever see somebody who used to be like a horrible, like cuss like a sailor do, and then they meet Jesus and that person's dead and they're now just completely something different in them? And you think, wow, they must have been brainwashed. And the truth is they said, no, I, I just made decisions that I, that person's gone. And there is a new life that has been brought into me. This is the priority of, of pursuing righteousness. And I'll explain why, how this works. It's really simple. I had, to, I had to pursue righteousness on Friday. Friday morning, I'm, it's my day off, so I'm sitting at home, and uh, Nikki gives me a call and says, hey, could you do a big favor? Could you run outside and grab, like, just grab a little plant? Like, we have some weeds growing in our garden. Could you pull out a weed? Someone, one of the kids needs a weed for their class. Well, I'll be really honest. I'll tell you, show you my awesome spirituality. I don't want to. This is, why am I thinking about someone other else's kids? Like, why am I doing this? this is, no, I don't want to do this. Uh, no, it's my day off. Uh, like, what, why us? Why are you picking on us? Like, is my job as a pastor to be picking weeds? I'm not meant to be picking weeds. I'm, okay, this is, I'm confessing in front of you all. Aaron never struggles like this at all. He doesn't. I w- 
And so I'm, I'm literally getting up to the car, and I'm, I'm trying to do my stuff and get a little upset, but then, and the Holy Spirit comes in and says, is that really what I, the, the righteousness that I gave to you? Where's the shovel? Get to the school. Jesus loves you. And then my, as I'm driving away, and the Lord said, because this is funny, I was driving, and my kids were in the same car, and all of a sudden I stopped, turned around, they're like, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you turning the car around? I gotta do something. I gotta do this. Why? 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 What would change the car? Why would you do this? I gotta do this because I have to pursue righteousness. If I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, I can't just go kingdom and not forget righteousness because they're part and parcel. And we have a culture that wants to conform us that I'm all with God, but I don't care about living the way he wants us to live. And you miss those priorities. His priorities that he speaks to you every day. That he goes, loving is, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's this kind of love that goes great across my righteousness. But yet, that's the call of me this summer, this fall, going, God, I want you. I want you, and I want you, and I want your kingdom to advance. But you're going to address some righteousness in me. But I need your righteousness because, Lord, I fall short every day. Maybe we need to repent when we realize that we think we're good and God says, no, I still have so much work in you. 1 John 2, 16 says, For all this is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life. It is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness. Pursue it. Love, faith, peace, and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, when you pursue righteousness, this is what you see. Go ahead, Christopher. The most righteous person died on a cross so that I could be right. And I identify with him that I actually, he, that old norm is nailed to that thing. And I just make a choice. Do I let your righteousness live out through me? So what do we do about it? What does it mean to seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness? What does it mean making God first? I, I actually just did a wedding, uh, Josh and Emily Baker, beautiful wedding in Brandon. I, in fact, this message was just a, a continuation of it. I was so, I asked him about it and said, what do you want in your marriage, Emily? And Josh, what are you guys looking for in your marriage? And it was so blessed by the response. They said, people often say, oh, you make me so happy. But being happy in ourselves isn't what we want. The driving force we want behind our relationship is God. And although, of course, we are happy together, that fleeting feeling is not what we will deepen our marriage to thrive. We're seeking, we aren't seeking happiness. We're really wanting God first. You see, I loved it because they were just saying, it's not, I believe if I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto me. I actually will receive happiness. 
Because Jesus promises all these things are given you. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his promises that he'll take care of the rest. That's Matthew 6, 26. The rest will be added unto you. Not only will he take care of all your needs, he's going to add what you don't, what you, what you didn't know you needed. He blesses you beyond what you even could compare. And on, and on, and the context is that you would be filled. He will actually give you joy and desires. So what does seeking God's first kingdom look like? Let's be really practical. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Hey, Kev, can you help me? I want to close on this thought, and, but I need my lovely assistant. The man, the myth, the legend. That person. Yeah, that person isn't available, so number two in the program, number one in my heart. So there we go. All right. What does it mean to seek first his kingdom? You see, I think like this, all of us, God has given us a free choice and a will, but we all have a life, every one of us. It's your life, you can do whatever, but the issue with this is your life, it's like Kierkegaard said, you're, you have a, it's like a hole or a vacuum, and you're just going to figure out what you want to fill it up with. All of us. And the first thing is this, in our life we have lots of things that, and I'm just going to, just show you, because some of you might be going, oh, is he pulling a trick? No, these are all equal, same amounts, nothing, just there. Because these are going to represent two lives. I think that what happens is, is it says, the concerns, the things, the worries, you know, our passions, our desires, our football games, our sports, and all that stuff, all those things become these things that become parts in our life that are not bad. They're actually okay. Soccer and, you know, all, and, and all those little things that we can do. Stocks, whatever, I don't know, whatever you do that's fun. Toffee fee. Anyway. So we fill our life with those. Because those things are the things that we put in and we put those first. But there are other concerns in our world. We have things like jobs and real big ones or big concerns. We have family, we have sickness, so that health part that the, those guys said would be important to put in. And so we fill our life with those things that we have to deal with. And then we get God. Now I'm using God as a big rock because how many of you know that God's very big? It's huge. In fact, he is the creator of everything. In fact, he is larger than any of these, but we suddenly find we actually have no time for God. We have no time for the ability of it because this is our life. But when we're challenged with this thing of seek first his kingdom, what is seeking first? I don't know. I'm just doing simple things. I pray every day. Not out of, because I need relationship. I'm asking for something to shift. Lord, give me a craving for you. I, I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible. Oh, I know, it's a miracle. Oh, no, I read the Bible every day. Because I want this relationship to be first. Because if I put him first, I make this, in, even in front of my family, even in front of all these things, because the next part, when I do put those family and health issues and stuff and work and job and whatever, just I put those in. Now comes all my other stuff that I've got to deal with. Passions and anxieties and whatever. Some of it will fall off. 
some of it actually will be discarded. But I will guarantee you, you will have all that you need. Everything, actually. Some of the Lord will say, this you shouldn't have anyway. This isn't good for you, and, and so you're willing to let, but because this is first, it's the weirdest thing. When you let God become first, everything else falls in line. Let's pray. So Jesus, I thank you for you have a set of priorities to help us through this life. And I thank you for these people that are really a people that are seeking first your kingdom. They really are wanting more of you, Lord. I pray that even today you would just um, not make this all theoretical. I'm going to ask for right now for a craving, a desire in us for this fall, a hunger that suddenly says, I cannot but pray. I cannot, I'm, I am really needing you. I am so hungry and thirst. I'm wanting revival in me. I'm not happy with. There is a, a, an identification of wanting more of you. you. And I pray that right now that this situation of kingdom, Lord, I want to pray that your kingdom would suddenly take more control in us so that, Lord, your kingdom would be in our work, in our schools, and our families. But, Lord, deal with the, who's the Lord first. And finally, Lord, I just ask this righteousness. I give you permission to keep harassing me. I repent. I'm sorry for my uh, thinking I'm pretty good. I thank you that you call me good. You call me loved and you call me blessed. But you don't leave me there. You're making me more like your son. And Lord, I thank you that that's your job and that's your responsibility. And I just want to receive that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.